Welcome back to Let's Talk About Skills, Baby, the podcast where we discover what skills can help you live your best life. I am your host, Kelly Ryan Bailey, and each week I chat with inspiring visionaries about the skills that make them successful. You'll get a firsthand account of how they develop those skills, as well as their innovative approaches to improving skills-based hiring and learning around the world. Now, let's talk about skills, baby. Today, we are joined by our special guest, Omer Molad. How are you? Hey, Kelly. Great to be here. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. So let me do a little quick introduction for Omer. Omer is the co-founder and CEO of Vervo, a recruitment platform that helps companies hire the very best by focusing on who can do the job, not just who looks good on paper. Vervo predicts job performance using skills assessments that showcase the talent of every candidate and works with some of the world's largest companies, including Walmart, as well as thousands of SMBs. I am so interested in diving into this today, Omer, because honestly, this topic for me is just sort of top of mind right now, figuring out how to assess skills. So again, thank you so much for joining us. Is there anything else you'd like to add to that introduction? No, I think that's a great start. You nailed it. Wonderful. Well, let's start maybe by just, if you don't mind, kind of taking us back a little bit and letting us know for you personally how you ended up starting Vervo, maybe a little bit more about your journey to this point in time. Yeah, sure. So I grew up in Tel Aviv in Israel. After high school, I served in the military. And that was an important period in my life that helped shape uh, part of my thinking and career. And then after that, I moved to Melbourne and immediately met David, so uh, my co-founder. So we've been friends for, for 20 years. I also went to law school and met my wife, who's an Aussie and ended up getting married and been living here for a long time. After moving to Melbourne, I worked mainly in the corporate sector in financial services, but there was a two-year period where I worked with the Australian Red Cross and led an international emergency deployment effort. But for most of the time, I was in banking and I reached a period where I started thinking about this problem a lot. I was leading a big team and I was thinking about who are the high performers, who are the people in the team that we can't live without and what journeys have they been on? Where did they go to school? Where did they work? And what kind of people weren't doing well and what kind of people do we need to recruit? And it just became obvious Mm -hmm. that there's a big dislocation between this sort of resume and traditional process versus who actually performs. And David and I got talking and he'd been through, albeit a very different career journey in technology, but had a very similar experience. And we decided that this was something that we wanted to tackle. And I think we're also ready on a personal level to like not apply for the next job, but create the next job for ourselves. And I think that's an important factor as well. And obviously there's a lot more to it, but that's at a sort of very high level how we got here. Very cool. So I'm curious to hear a little bit about when you started to see this with within your own team, how you might be looking to hire the best of in terms of your team. What were some of the themes in terms of skills that you kept seeing that were successful versus maybe not as successful? I think a lot of the skills were skills that people generally consider to be soft skills, although I don't really, that's not a term that 
that we use. It's a little outdated now, right? I, what what right. do you call soft skills now? Yeah, so we kind of think of skills in terms of they're either job specific or they're general work okay. skills that apply to many jobs. But mm-hmm. a skill is something that you can learn. That's how we think about it. And mm-hmm. so we used to do case study interviews and basically get people to go through scenarios that we would work through on the job. And what we learned was that some people found it really difficult to apply their prior experience and skills to a new setting. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of one thing. Whereas the people who did well in our team were able to switch constantly and be confronted with new situations Mm -hmm. and apply what they've learned. They also, they were very curious. They were learners, which is I think a wonderful skill to have the ability to self-learn and to Mm -hmm. constantly have that hunger for more knowledge and then find ways to to acquire it so they were resourceful and there was also a work ethic but when I say work ethic I don't necessarily mean just working long hours I mean dedication care about the team care about the customer becoming a safe pair of hands it was a combination of things and they're just not things that you're taught at school they're not things that you get from coming from a privileged background and so on. Right. Um, and so, and they're not things that you see on a resume. Definitely. I can appreciate that a lot. So for you and David, were you also seeing this sort of like mirror of yourself in this? I'm wondering if you were thinking like, well, the skills that sort of are making me successful are a mix of these similar types of skills that you were looking for on your team as well. I think we both, we come from such different backgrounds, but non-traditional and I mean you've heard about me I've served in the military I've grown up in two countries etc a resume doesn't do me justice and David interestingly worked in technology but then he managed a, a catering business for a few years and basically was in the cupcake business so you know it's like kind of crazy as well so, so we're not conventional when neither of us right. are conventional and I think there's this feeling that well, there's no piece of paper, there's no interview. We're not necessarily good at selling ourselves in an interview. And we felt that, you know, that that's part of it. But also in being hiring managers and in leading teams, we constantly saw that the people who can contribute the most, the door isn't as widely open for them because the game's kind of rigged, not rigged maliciously, no. but it's just, it just makes it easier for people that fit into a box. Yeah. And, and I think that that really bothered us. Isn't that so many things though, if you think about life that way, right? I mean, ed- if you think about formal education, we sort of have the tendency, I think just generally speaking, our society, global society at large tends to try to put people into boxes because it's easier to create sort of general pieces to that. I see that a lot with education. I see that a lot in hiring. I see that a lot in other areas too. Most definitely. And it's true in education. And then education is highly influential uh, in terms of the the career paths that people have access Mm -hmm. to. So it kind of starts very early on in life. And I just, I think we just refuse to accept this notion that like your ticket's been stamped from an early age and that's it. You know, that, that's just a horrible way to think about the world. And rather, we think that instead, we think that, you know, there's opportunity for anybody if they apply themselves, if, if they work hard, if they're prepared to learn, if they're prepared to venture outside their comfort zone. 
And typically those are the ingredients for success. They're not the only ones. There are other factors, many other factors, including luck. But if you do all those things, you give yourself a really good chance. And so why won't the system actually do that and help you and help facilitate that? Well, before we fully jump in to what you're doing with the organization, which I'd love to, I have one last question because I'm curious now that you described this with education. Did you find that those people that you describe having those skill sets that were really successful, would you have said they maybe came from some of the top schools with high level degrees or did you see otherwise? No, absolutely not. That's what surprised us that they'd often taken, you know, the road less traveled I had a feeling you might say that. Had to to just throw in a Robert Frost quote. But, you know, I think there's something about the road less traveled that helps you develop that sort of perseverance and, you know, the school of hard knocks, another cliche. But, you know, you have to sort of dig deeper sometimes when you're not gifted with opportunity. And there was a mixture. I mean, some had come, some had good grades and others didn't. It, It wasn't like it sort of highly correlated one way or another. It was random. But what wasn't random was the the attitude that they had and how they turned up to work and how much reading they did and how and how they applied themselves. That was not random. It doesn't matter how rich you are or what gender you are, you can choose to do those things. Right. And if you do those things, then you will give yourself a better chance to succeed. Not only that, the people around you in the organization will then be more inclined to invest in you as well. And so those were kind of the things that I think also shouldn't come as a surprise. And this is obviously a bigger topic that grades don't necessarily correlate. Not because if someone got good grades, that's great. But the way we teach in school and in university and college doesn't necessarily translate into the way that right. we do things practically in the workplace. We teach in a, I mean, I went to a school that was very traditional university of Melbourne, mm-hmm. you know, where I studied very kind of like old school education. I went to law school, you oh, yeah. know, and, and you learn in a certain way and it's not the same way that you then need to do right. a job. Right. Right now, there are certain skills you get out of it. Like I got really good at writing essays, which teaches you how to articulate. And absolutely, that's great. But like that, that's not the be all and end all. Right. No, totally. And when you say that, I am envisioning to anyone that has any difficulty in learning in different ways. I know for me personally, I was really good at memorizing. I was a terrible test taker. So it didn't mean that I was could be un- unfortunately right at that time when you're young people basically tell you you're going to be unsuccessful at life <laughs> but right. that's not necessarily the case it's just that's how traditional education being set up and also the way we process information some people are very visual yeah there's auditory processing some people learn more i learn more by engaging by having a discussion some yeah. people learn by reading some people look at slides some people listen And most education at that level is delivered in a very certain specific format. Interestingly, now that a lot of it's moved to remote learning, I don't know if anyone's done research on it, but I bet you that it now favors a different type of student than what it did in the physical format of learning. And so that's a factor as well. And how motivated are you in a lot lot of other things? And, 
So, so we've just realized that all these things like where did you work and where did you study, they're a reference point, sure. but they're not the strongest signal in determining how you perform on the job. It's, that's how we think about it. It's not, they're not irrelevant. Right. right. They're just ref- reference points. Right. And how do we then take in some of those other reference points into the mix and understand them? Because I'm sure, you know, that you'll get into this, that those are just areas that we just didn't know how to take that into account because we're so used to and so reliant in hiring on this document, this resume, this CV, maybe a social media profile, again, fairly basic information that's really there. But I'd love to hear, as you kind of delve into this, I'd almost love to hear the story of when you guys, you and David first got together and were like, ah, we think we have something here because that's always really fascinating when someone decides like, let's actually do this. Part of the inspiration came from the movie industry that does casting. Actually, David and I got involved in a film together, which is an interesting project, an independent (laughs) movie that someone we know was making. And casting's really interesting because like play the part, audition for the role. And then also David read this article about a company called Automatic, the company that invented WordPress. And they used to do, uh, I think they still do it, auditions where they bring someone in for a week to do a Uh trial. And that's sort of such a great concept. And we said, well, is there a way to do that with technology and sort of make that more efficient? Essentially, that's what we said. And that's really the foundation for everything. And what we wanted to build was the digital version of, you know, a restaurant saying to someone, come in for a shift, come into the kitchen. We'll see how good the omelet is that you make. I was going to say, this is what we do at my family bakery when we're hiring, you know, pastry chefs. That's exactly. And we see what happens <laughs> you, you can join the verbo sales team now that's it that's <laughs> what that's what we do but we use technology to do it so that you can do it for you know a yeah. hundred or ten thousand applicants in parallel and you know a lot of data and we make it nice and all and it's once one way and all these other things that technology the benefits technology brings but at a fundamental level when you remove technology from the equation and you just talk about the evaluation method itself it's that versus some goofy interview where you say, tell me about a time when you had a problem, right. like who cares about that? Let's actually get you to make the omelet or the, right. you know, bake the cake or the cupcake or the whatever and see, I always like to talk about, I know it's an extreme example, but I like to talk about Roger Federer. Mm-hmm. You know, if you sit down with Roger Federer and have a coffee, you're not going to know how good he is. If you look at his grades from high school, I promise you won't know. If you get him to do a personality assessment, you'll find out he's an introvert. (laughs) But if you see him on the court, and there's no substitute, there is no substitute to seeing him on the court. And when you see him on the court, it's not just that he's good. I mean, Nadal, I mean, now there's a debate about Nadal, I think just won his 13th. French Open, I'm a huge tennis you know, fan, and I love I, it's. I love to see them both compete together. <laughs> they're both they're both unbelievable, but like for me, Roger Federer is a different level because he has something that nobody has, which is the grace, right? The elegance, Agreed. just it's something it's intangible, and you have to see it. And our thesis is: well, everybody has a little bit of Roger Federer. They're unique, right. so give them an opportunity to show you. That's it. Yeah. And we use technology to make that very good and fast and whatever, but that's the fundamental premise. It's, it's just such a great way to describe that because I've, like you said, it's like everyone has this unique power in them and that varies so drastically. I think 
what you made me think of when you were describing that story, just because it's something that's so prevalent in my life right now, is my middle daughter who happens to have the gift of dyslexia. And I talk about this a lot, but, you know, we're going through, she's 10, we're just, it's a very difficult time and she's gets very down on herself. And what I try to like point her to is you don't realize like the magic that will be created one day when you just realize this creativity that you have inside of you, that like reading is like this one thing that it doesn't define you, but it's like so hard as a young person, you get so blocked into that. I think of Federa and just, that's actually one thing I would say that natural grace that you described that you just can't train that piece of it. You can become a better tennis player, but there's this one thing, that combination of all that you described earlier, the passion, the et cetera, et cetera that create something that is unique to that person. That's exactly right. And when you think about, when you look about sort of profound people in history, and there's a book called Mastery that Mm -hmm. talks about Da Vinci and so many other people. And and you look at sort of across a range of fields, not just science, sport, education, they're all kind of really weird people. Some of them, they're all sort of, a lot of them are on the spectrum. You know, it takes something to be different. And as kids, we get pushed to just be normal, to be the same. And actually, that's what kills you. That's what sort of... Um, I think what you described, like people that don't, that people that haven't been given all of it and how I feel like that's almost the way to describe what you're saying now, which is, you know, it's usually something that is challenging or a struggle that you have because you don't fit into what people might call normal. <laughs> at some point you overcome you have to overcome yes and you do and then you really truly live in and figure out who you are and when you have to overcome I think the obvious thing people think about is oh you did it the hard way so you're tougher but actually that's I think that's it's certainly a benefit the resilience but there's another more overlooked benefit which is you had to be resourceful you had to be creative you had to innovate you had to find different ways And, you know, part of the growth mindset theory of Carol Dweck, which also I think is misunderstood, growth mindset is not just about like sheer determination. It's about having a different strategy to succeed. It's about saying, this didn't work. I'm not just going to bash my head against the wall more, which is grit. And bashing your head against the wall sometimes is necessary, but it's not, not necessarily the most intelligent way to go about it. And so it's about working out, okay, I did this and I got a grade B. So instead of labeling myself and saying I'm a B, the conclusion I'll reach is that the strategies that I used to get here didn't work. So I'm going to find a new strategy to get a better outcome. It's not that I'm going to just like stare harder at my book. That's not what's going to work. Yes, there's a resilience that's required to even have that realization that, okay, I'm not a failure. I need to like continue and find... But then to actually develop that strategy to teach yourself or to to do whatever, that is where the creativity, that's where the magic happens. And people who are slightly different, they've gone through a different path. They've had to develop and they are more likely to then apply themselves in the future in ways that will lead to better outcomes because they're going to think across a much broader spectrum. So how do you harness that through your technology and share that with potential employers, people that have this, because I can imagine that anyone that has that power behind them, they come into any environment and likely they're going to succeed because they're not going to be worried when they fail once, they're just going to figure out this new way. 
coming back to you asked me a little bit about my personal journey. There's a book that really influenced me that I read quite recently in the last few years by David Epstein. It's called Range, How Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World, okay. something like that. It talks about the fact that we push people to specialize. Actually, Federer just in the last week said he wished people would not start specializing so early in life. Okay. Yeah, and and we push people to specialize and we value specialization, but actually he looked at people who've been successful in a range of fields and there are a couple of exceptions like poker, poker players and golf, mm-hmm. Tiger Woods, there are a few exceptions, but other than those exceptions, pretty much all of the people that he reviewed are actually generalists and they've succeeded in more than one field like a neurosurgeon that then started writing a TV show and a ballet dancer that became a stockbroker and all these kind of things. Yeah. And initially at face value, sort of on the surface, you think, oh, that, that's crazy stuff. That doesn't make sense. But actually it makes sense because of what David Epstein calls analogous thinking that you are able to apply a way of thinking that you learned in say ballet to then a completely different field and you don't get to into this sort of like pattern matching group think where everyone's the same. And it's those people who have essentially more strings in their bow. They have a larger sort of array of solutions. Yes. And when I read that book, I felt this sense of kind of relief and kind of warmth because until that point I thought geez my resume is a mess like I can't make sense of it I've grown up in two countries I've studied studied law and then I worked in the humanitarian sector and now I'm in a technology company and like what's going on and banking but then through this lens I looked at it all and thought actually they were all apprenticeships that helped me prepare to do what I'm doing now and I can draw on the skills and the experiences from every one of those places and apply it all to doing a job that a CEO and a founder job that there's no school for, there's no preparation for. I just felt this sense of, you know, validation. And coming back to your question, I'd love for more companies, more hiring managers, more recruiters to have this openness that analogous thinking exists that you don't have to have worked in the same thing in the same field in the same place in order to be good at x Mm -hmm. that there are other paths and that thinking then leads to an openness around okay well let's actually focus on the skills and what someone can do not the chronological you know part of history all these things (laughs) right because that's why it's this belief that if people have done all these things in the past, you know, past performance predicts future performance, but actually that's incorrect. Right. And that just comes from this like kind of historical inertia that, you know, the days of like the blacksmith, you were a blacksmith for, for 10 years. So you're going to be a good blacksmith mm-hmm. in year 11. Okay. But careers are more complex. The world of work is much mm-hmm. more complex today. The education pathways are more complex. We're doing jobs today that didn't exist five years ago. Exactly. Because of the internet, because of a million things now, because of COVID, right? And and so what I would encourage people and what we try and encourage people to think about is this openness that there are many ways that people can arrive at the point that they've arrived at and many ways that they can 
learn skills and be good at a job and people with different parts and different personalities and different logos on their resume can be really good at sales or design or whatever so if you think of it like that you hopefully develop an openness to also evaluating them differently no and I love how you describe this at the apprenticeships sort of (laughs) in these roles because I never thought about it that way but you're exactly right It might not all make sense, you know, especially when you're going through it. Now you can look back and you can say, of course, this was training me to where I am today. But that descriptive description around that as an apprenticeship model, I think is really would resonate with a lot of people. I just feel like that's a great dialogue to start with organizations that just a lot of times this discussion around skills tends to be very difficult because they're they're so set in the traditional ways. But when you throw in language like that, I feel like it would just be like almost an immediate understanding. And and just to make it more real for everyone listening, if you learned a language or how to play a musical instrument, that doesn't seem sort of obvious at the time of how's it gonna make me better at writing code, but clearly the skills to learn a language, the skills to learn how to play a violin. And let's go further, what about being a parent? I mean, we talked yeah. about this earlier, you know, between us, I think we've learned a little bit about ourselves and about negotiation skills and a whole range of skills you learn as a parent. That doesn't mean that if you're not a parent, you're not going to be good at, you know, but why aren't we valuing these things? There's more to a human than just what they did at a university or, you know, what they studied or what they did at the last job. Right. There's a holistic view. I wonder too, like now I'm, I, I'd love to dig a little bit deeper into the technology that you provide through Vervo, if you don't mind, because I'm really curious, not only how and, and what you're able to assess, but now that you brought up these sort of like non-formal skill building, right? Like being a parent or whatever that might be, whatever experience life experiences, is that something that you're also, so two-part question, one, just like dive into the technology, two being, is that these additional life skills, something that you're able to also assess? Yeah, so they come out through the process. So essentially, at a very basic level, going to what, going back to what we discussed earlier, the digital version of getting someone to come into the bakery for, for a shift, that's what we do. So we put people in the scenarios that they face on the job. And we think about that in a way that's context dependent. What do I mean by that? So Someone selling ice cream at the ice cream shop is different to someone selling software at Oracle. They're both sales. Mm -hmm. And someone selling software at Oracle is different to someone selling software at Snowflake, both big software companies, but still different again. So context matters. So it's not just the job of sales. It's the job of sales at your company, in your team at that time. And we get them to do tasks that are relevant. And through that, we learn what their job specific skills are and their general work or soft skills are. And I'll give an example. A skill that many, many employers want is attention to detail. Sounds great. Sounds straightforward. Actually, no. The attention to detail of, say, a librarian is going to be very different to the attention to detail required of, say, someone in my job. So I don't need to have that level of, I need to pay attention to certain themes. I need attention to detail, but it's a very different skill. So we say, don't test this generic thing, attention to detail. Test attention to detail in a way that's relevant to the job that the person has applied for. Mm -hmm. And then you can talk about teamwork. 
teamwork in a factory different to teamwork in an engineering team okay mm -hmm. when you do it in context you bring out not just the functional or job specific skills can someone sell can someone design etc but how they're going to contribute how are they going to apply themselves? How are they going to learn? How are they going to work with others? Critically important. It's not enough to know that an engineer can write code. What if they don't pay attention to the JIRA ticket and sort of go off track? What if they don't communicate when there are problems? What if they don't help others on the team? What if they take shortcuts and it ends up being... There are a million things that make... And then what about just like being a generally helpful good person to work with as well. That's, that's another sort of, what about being a good mentor? What about openness to feedback mm -hmm. so that they can learn? All of these things come out when you put people in the scenarios that are relevant and challenge their thinking, as opposed to asking them these sort of vague questions like, you know, what are your strengths? That doesn't really right. mean anything. Just, you're asking to sort of be game, to be lied to when people, when pe people are really good, they can rehearse for that. Exactly. So that's, how, that's, that's how we do it. And then we collect a lot of data mm -hmm. uh, as that process happens. And we use uh, machine learning models to, to rank people and we learn from the employer. So what we then learn is like, we might have two companies using a very similar job, similar assessment, but they care about different things. So like graphic designer role at a startup, you might want them to ship fast. Graphic designer role at a big accounting firm, you might want them to like, take things through committees and mm -hmm. not make mistakes, similar job description. So we then look at what is that employer indexing for? What are they attributing more weight to? Mm -hmm. And we recalibrate and we surface those candidates. They can all do the job, but which are the ones that are sort of stronger in the things you care about the most? So we're not prescriptive. We don't tell you as a company what good looks like. You tell us what good looks like. You're going to hire the people. We tell you how to test for that. Got That's it. how we think about the world. So do you create a scenario once you understand what a company is looking for? Or does that company create the scenario with you? Both. So sometimes they ask us to do it and we do it for them. Other times we make it really easy for them to do it themselves. So they, they type in kind of the skills they want and we automatically surface the right kind of questions and they can then choose those questions or create new ones so we so we have a, an assessment builder that's pretty intuitive and nobody wants a blank canvas but some want more help than others some have a strong view they might be doing something offline that works pretty well and they want to recreate it and others just want you know more suggestions and more sort of help and so we source questions from our library and then others again come to us and say we want to test for people that are like can work at a call center and are resilient. They're maybe they're like nine nine one one operators and they're sort of, right. you know, traumatic or whatever, some sort of health or mental health helpline. A true story, by the way, we did that. We hired mental health counselors. So you can just mm -hmm. imagine what kind of skills they require. And so we'll create something tailored for them. Yeah. I was just thinking through to, is this sort of embedded in their current whatever technology they use for their hiring process or does this end up being sort of like a separate instance I don't know why but I'm trying to think of do potential candidates can they come directly to Vervo or does that have to happen in a company environment it happens in the company environment we haven't opened up a candidate portal mm -hmm. yet not something we're going to do in the short term but it's not out of the realm of possibility 
right. in the company environment. It can be used standalone or integrated into an app, usually an applicant tracking system, but also a chatbot or any other delivery. So it can be rolled into a workflow and it can also be white labeled into a bigger work, like a platform, like a job board or mm -hmm. a talent marketplace. Essentially what is unchanged is the core transaction, which is testing skills, but everything around that, what we call the wrapping paper, how people apply and how sort of what the, what the process is, the flow, what we're sort of agnostic about that. And that can be as embedded or not as the company wants. Right. And for the candidate, it's really seamless. So there's no registration. They get a magic link, it's kind of the way Slack authenticates. They just get an email, click on a link, start and finish. And that's it. They don't, we don't collect any details. We actually collect no details from the candidate. Just we need no to be able to. No personal details. Nothing. No, okay. no, no personal details. We just name and, and an identifier, either an email or a number, so we can connect right. them to the assessment. We don't know their gender. We, we don't know anything about them. We just know that they have a name and they're doing an assessment. Mm -hmm. And then we supply that back to the company. The company sees okay. the name first. It's usually they'll just see first name, the score, and then the scores for the skill. You can hide names. That's a feature. That's not in of itself a thing that's like, and what they'll do is they'll go and dig deeper anyway. But essentially what another way to think about what we do is we're delaying the first impression. So normally in the traditional hiring process, the first impression is the background, mm -hmm. the LinkedIn profile or the resume. We're making the first impression, the work. We're not proponents of blind hiding this right. No, because they, they're going to learn about the person anyway. They're going to look at other reference points. But when you make the work, the first impression, they focus on the right things yes. and they, they then consider people they normally would have screened down. And that, that gets you most of the way there. I love that you do that. I'm, I'm, I was just even like thinking personally that, I mean, I've been lucky enough to the last few roles that I've had in my career never required someone to read a resume, but it did, I did stop and pause when you said that. I was like, if I actually had to send someone a resume, would that be, <laughs> communicate what I do to them? I don't actually trust that it would. So I love that that's the focus. And then, you know, I know we're coming close to the end of our time, but I did have one more question on just sort of like the output of this to the employer you mentioned like a lot of data points. I mean, I'm, you know, initially I think most people are thinking, well, it creates some sort of resume when in fact it's not anything like that at all. Yeah. So there are three outputs. The first is a ranking. So there's a score per candidate that then results in a ranking. So imagine a graduate program and you have 3000 people apply and now they're ranked for you automatically purely based on how they perform. So that's the first, then the next level is deeper. So for each candidate, Usually in each assessment, we test three to four distinct skills. Mm -hmm. And so then there'll be a, a score for each skill. So you can have two candidates at a similar level, but one's better at communication. The other one's better at prospecting or whatever. So that's right. really important. And then the third is kind of deeper again, which is more insight about that candidate. And that's less relevant for like, say, a Walmart that's doing tens of thousands, but more relevant when you're hiring knowledge workers and it's a bottom of funnel you're looking at 15 people and you're now at the sort of top three and you're trying to distinguish between them yeah. so that's a very different activity top of funnel filtering and ranking versus bottom of funnel distinguishing between two or three 
really compelling candidates. You, you need insight that's deeper on, on the candidate. So that's to help you make that selection decision. And then once you've made that decision, that's what we're trying to do, help you make a decision. Once you've done that, essentially we're then agnostic about the rest on background checks on boarding we're happy for someone else to do that that's not the this territory mm -hmm. we want to play in. we really want to get you initially from that application to a shortlist and then if you'd like from that shortlist to a decision and that's it yeah now when you think of because like this is very skill-based in this process when you think of skills are there various resources? Are you using companies, skill frameworks? I know there's tons of skill frameworks out there. How are you curating what skills is that? I'm, maybe this is even coming through the conversations with the employers and what scenarios they want to put in place. Well, we think of MZ as a, a great resource for skills, but it's a great question. There are really on one hand, but there are, there's a subsection of our customers that have a great competency framework but it's, it's rare. Most okay. look to us. We have an in-house function, an IO psych sort of mm -hmm. function, but I wouldn't say it's an exact science. So I think, like I said earlier, even attention to detail, what does that mean? It depends on the context. So context, yeah. Right. So look, there's a lot of stuff that is kind of easier to do off the shelf. Like let's do it. Let's have an Excel test, easy, intermediate, advanced Excel test. You, you can do that kind of stuff. Bookkeeping test you can do, but yeah. you know, when you get sort of beyond that, it really depends. And so I think in terms of taxonomy, that's something that is still evolving. Mm -hmm. we, we are building that. A lot of it is customer led. So we listen to what our customers want and it just continues to change. Um, but there's no sort of this, we certainly do not use an off the shelf framework. Mm -hmm. and, and I think to some extent, we would like to have not an off the shelf framework of assessments, obviously, because that goes against everything, but mm -hmm. some taxonomy that when you're thinking about resilience, this is a definition. And then obviously it can be context dependent, but there'll be some migration towards that, but we're probably not there yet. Yeah. That's one of the initiatives that I'm involved in called the Open Skills Network, which is a global network, is looking around sort of the context layer around skill words, actually quite similar to what you just described. So I'm sure that there's more than that group, but there are groups on the way that are trying to solve for that. So that is a plus. Yeah, and it's, a, it's an area that I think will continue to evolve as the workplace evolves. What does okay. SEO mean? What does remote working mean? What does virtual mean? Like all these things are changing and evolving. So, so long as it's not this very outdated sort of government database, then, you know, if it's something living and breathing, I think there's value in those kind of things. Yeah, definitely. And I think what I was even more curious about, although I appreciate the kind words about MZ, but what I was more curious about too, was just how employers were really where you are, you know, in terms of skills, because especially I think we, in, in my circles, we tend to hear maybe less from employers than I would like to hear. And I'm always curious if when you hear from employers about skills, if they tend to be talking with similar threads or like is attention to detail something you just hear? Yeah, they do talk in similar, there are themes. There's a big emphasis on these kind of, again, these kind of softer kind of non-job specific skills like resilience, yeah. 
there are also a lot of words that we challenge that they talk about culture fit and they talk about certain skills that we ask them, well, why, why is that important for this role? They say stuff like learning agility. We say, what do you mean by that? And they can't explain like, like in a call center. We say, well, okay, why is learning agility important to you in this role? And, and so then we look at, well, okay, well, what's required to do really well in this role? Don't worry about like using big words, just right. give us examples. Like tell us what are the things that you need to do? Oh, you need to be good with customers. You need it. Okay. So what if we told you that that actually is associated with these other skills? Right empathy, whatever, whatever it is. Right. And that we're good at this because we do this all day long and we can actually tell you. And what if we told you that if you tested for that, you're going to get really, really good people. So we have these discussions. I don't always, sometimes they work, sometimes they don't, you know, people have views, strong views on these things, but I think there's a greater openness, increasing openness to have this kind of discussion rather than I saw on Google that these are the skills that I read in some Forbes article, you know, which is not, not right. a helpful way, right. way to think about it. And so they come with a sort of an idea mm-hmm. and then we try and unpack it and we get to a place where we can agree on what's important. And then they see, and sometimes it's show, don't tell, they get to see the candidates doing and they go wow okay this now I know that these are the right yeah and sometimes and that's okay sometimes that's okay you have to see it to believe it and that's a big part of our process is to actually show people it's hard for them to imagine this is not something that then goes back to Roger Federer there's no explanation that's going to tell you just go and see it's not and you brought me back to my days working in a staffing firm when I was out there meeting with hiring managers, trying to help them describe what they were looking for. And when they would give you that long laundry list of whatever sort of the, you know, popular terms were of the day or of the year, then they'd throw a master's or a PhD on top of it. <laughs> and I'd be like, right. So ten, I think what you experience. is this. Right. But today you hear those words and I'm sure like this is new within the last couple of years, empathy, resilience. Those aren't skills we were talking about just a few years ago. That's exactly right. You reminded me of that, you know, 10 years experience in this and PhD and all these kind of things. It's like, well, hang on a minute. Are we hiring a cardiovascular surgeon here that's in an industry that's regulated where they need these qualifications? I mean, you're talking about an account manager at a, at a digital agency and there are clear skills that that person needs, but the PhD has got nothing to do with any of that. Right. I so usually like, say under- something like this person will be $400 an hour and then they wait, maybe that's not what I meant then. <laughs> right. That's exactly right. No, I get it. So we are coming close to the end of our time, Omer, and I'd just love for you to maybe leave us with, you get to choose what your parting words for our guests would be completely (laughs) open-ended. Well, you know, I I, I sort of hadn't prepared any parting words, but what I, what's top of mind for me is the David Epstein book and that way of thinking and analogous thinking and for people to really come away from this knowing that what they have done in their life, no matter how sort of eccentric or weird or unrelated to anything tangible, it counts. It counts. It's made you a richer person. It's made you a better person. It's who you are. And whether you are doing it consciously or not, you are applying it in your role. When people look in the mirror and they have this sense of, 
the things that I've done have contributed to who I am and helped me contribute. I think that's a better way to go about life than looking back and thinking, well, I worked in these random things or studied these random things. And I'd love for companies to be open to that. But first, let's ourselves be open to that. That's a good start. And hopefully that'll sort of through osmosis, you know, filter across to people. I think that's a good parting message. I agree. And I will definitely make sure when we share this on social media that we link that book. It's something that I already just added to my, I added your two books to my little sticky note right here. My Amazon cart will be full shortly, (laughs) but I'll make sure I link that. So thank you so much for sharing those parting words. I also want to let everybody know that if you would like to follow Omer, he is available on LinkedIn. You can also find out more information about Vervo on their website, vervo.com. They are also available on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn most prominently. But I will say that I have taken a peek at this particular tool and would wholeheartedly suggest that organizations that are interested in thinking outside of the box and hiring in a unique way should definitely check this out. And I want to thank you all for listening in to Let's Talk About Skills, baby. Thank you again, Omer, for joining us. Thanks so much, Kate. You've been listening to Let's Talk About Skills, baby, a Growth Network podcast production. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your community. Ratings, reviews, and suggestions are great sources of feedback and always appreciated. And please reach out and connect with me on social at Kelly Ryan Bailey. I'd love to meet you and continue the conversation. We'll be back next week with a new episode. So until then, keep growing your skills and have a great day.